This episode is sponsored by Paleo Valley. Paleo Valley's meat sticks have been a lifesaver during this hot summer. Since they're shelf stable, I always have three Paleo Valley meat sticks in my bag at all times. It's also been perfect for my boys' lunch boxes. I love Paleo Valley's grass finished beef sticks and pasture raised turkey sticks because they support US family farmers that focus on regenerative agriculture. These meat sticks are from animals that have never been fed grains, soy, corn, or GMOs and have never been given antibiotics. The spices in these meat sticks are also 100% organic. The sticks come in five different flavors, and my favorite is the original beef stick, and my boys love the teriyaki beef sticks and the original pasture raised turkey stick. Paleo Valley's meat sticks are a perfect snack and, frankly, a great value without skimping on quality. Each stick is about $2 with our discount code, and it comes in a 10 pack bag. Make sure to support this podcast and head over to paleovalley.comslash CATG and use code CATG to get 15% off your first order. Thanks for listening and supporting the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Laura and I are just going to be talking really candid. This is what this podcast is all about. It's one thing to say, I want to eat something else that's not meat. It's a whole other thing to say, you need to eat something else that's not meat. If you notice that you're jumping from diet to diet, at a certain point, you have to wonder the only common denominator is me. Get outside, go for a walk, <laughs> get some vitamin D, breathe、yeah. some fresh air, and stay happy and healthy and, and take care of yourselves. Let's just have some real talk. <laughs> Welcome to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Thanks for joining the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. My name is Judy Cho, and I'm here with my co host, Laura Spath. And today we're just going to do a recap of the conversation we had with Dr. Robert Saives, also known as Carb Addiction Doc. There are so many good golden nuggets that Dr. Saives brought up, and we just wanted to talk. I guess a little bit more about our thoughts and maybe our own personal journey with the things that he talked about. One thing, Laura, that really caught my eye the last time we talked to him was when he talked about how everyone that goes to see him and pretty much everyone that's in the wellness space is an expert at failing diets. Sometimes we talk about obesity and we talk about illness and mental, physical、um, disease, all of these types of things in terms of the diet and what we need to fix and what we need to change. But oftentimes there's a mental and emotional and a coping、uh, mechanism to the food itself. And that's the part that we don't talk about as much. And, and then he talked about something called the mind cleansing moment and how all of us sort of need that. We, our brain kind of needs this break, I think every 15 to 20 minutes where we can just take a break. And sometimes we turn to food for that or for that comfort for a mind cleansing moment. But oftentimes, once we recognize that we do that with food and we recognize our relationship with food, Sometimes that's the last missing piece we need to really start healing. Well, I definitely found that. I think that was kind of, and I mentioned this when we talked with him. So the hardest part about 2020 was just being home all the time and like realizing that I was using food for that type of boredom element、uh, and really needing to, to find an alternative to that. But, you know, I, I completely relate to when he talked about 
everybody failing at, at diets, you know, we, we've all tried everything. Nobody ends up at carnivore for the first time ever, like just waking up one day going like, Oh, I should completely change something. You know, we've all tried other things. Um, a lot of us have tried literally everything that's out there. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of what we know. And I think like one thing that's interesting is that you and I have been talking with some friends lately about like, who do you trust online? And like, how do you know who to trust? And also I think more importantly, whose responsibility is it Mm. when there's a lot of crazy information out there? And so is it my fault that I got sucked down the vegan wagon or is it the vegan movie propaganda's fault that like I got sucked into that or, you know, all of those things, like, where is that, where does that lie? And I think that realizing that I needed to look at myself was a big part of it. Um, but I know that's something you and I have been talking a lot about lately. Since I work with clients, I thought I was pretty open with the, I guess the array of people that I serve. But when I was talking to Dr. Sives and he kept saying, but if you think about just the general population, um, that's where I realized that some of my content is somebody that's already keto or somebody that's already trying carnivore or starts to believe that meat is ideal. But even there's people that Dr. Sives meets that they just want to get healthier and they're literally still on the standard American diet. And so I realized, oh, I still have a bias too, because when I share content, I just assume that everyone knows that meat is healthy and that saturated fats are good for you. But I realize there's so many people that have diabetes, that have gut yeah. illness, and they're just like, I don't know what to eat, but I just want to feel better. It's hard because there's so many biases with the way that it's. it could be an expert, it could be a doctor, it could be an influencer. We speak from our clients, our history, our beliefs, our research, and we think we have the right path, but it's not going to work for everybody. And so then when the community or the world starts following certain people, I noticed that every influencer, every expert, when they have a following, there tends to be people that are just like them. And so you will find people that let's say they follow you, they may have a similar upbringing, or there was something about you that clicked. They're like, I can relate to Laura, they'll listen to your content. And maybe that's how they get um, open to the carnivore community. But then let's say they find somebody else through like hashtags or something. And now they have that influencer has a totally different opinion than you. And that's when they start having this, well, once that doubt comes in, and then when they're struggling with their diet, they start wondering, well, is Laura right? Or is that other person right? And unfortunately, the way people look has a lot to do with it. And if somebody is skinnier or prettier, or, you know, they look a certain way, I think that's why a lot of people fall into like Saladino looks, I mean, I don't know about now since the fruit stuff, but like, I don't mean just to kind of throw it out there. He's a fit person. And so people are looking saying, he's a fit person. I want to be like that, or I want to look like him. And so I need to do what he does. But if you're not in the same context, then I think that is where people fall into this trap of, I am never going to be a 20 year old skinny person again. Right. Um, and actually I never was in the first place because that's just not my context. And so we have to kind of It doesn't mean everybody who's in my situation has to do what I do, but we also have to be aware of who we're listening to um, and what kind of traps are we falling into to try to be like them when we can't. It's just not possible. And it's also not healthy for us to try to do what that person is doing when they're not the same as us. 
And I think it's just good to have a sanity check, right? So if there is some influencer or some expert or some doctor that just looks celebrity-esque, they probably are like the rare breeds, the magical unicorns. And the goal shouldn't be to be like them. A lot of celebrities have crazy fitness experts. They have these dietitians that get them really fit for a certain role, but they do extreme measures to get there. And we, if our goal is to be healthy and be in a normal, healthy range of weight, then those are not our goals. And those are not what we're trying to go after. Plus, it's their full-time job. Like, that's it. That's what they have to do. Like, their full-time job is to, I. if I had nothing else to do but be healthy, and that was my job, was to be fit and look good, I could, I don't know if I would, but I could have the time to work out multiple hours a day. And right, maybe that's, maybe you know, there's other people that would say that that's an excuse of like, what do I choose to spend my time on? And you're right, it is. Um, but it's also not, my full-time job is not to be looking good. And I'm health. I want to be healthy. Right, right. And arguably, I mean, Dr. Saladino, same thing. I mean, he he spends a good amount of his time working out and making sure he's fit. And that's fine. I mean, that's what he chooses to do with his life. But I have a family. I have a full-time practice where I see clients. I am thankful if I could have 30 minutes at the gym a day with my busy life. But I still make it a priority to get my heart beating a little bit, to lift a little bit of weights. But I know that it's unrealistic for me to look, I don't know, like a bodybuilder. And I'm sure if I really put priority into that, I can try, but that's not my priority. And my priority is to have my mental sanity and to be a decent weight so that I can have longevity to be there for my kids and my community long-term. And that is a priority of mine. And just because I'm not, I don't have a six pack like somebody else doesn't mean that my content isn't as good. Like the other day when I released the content from Dr. Richard Johnson, there w- there's always a snooty comment like this, but someone said, I would love for Dr. Johnson to show his cupboards and show his body in a bathing suit. And, and I would like to compare it to Dr. Saladino's. And it's just, that has <laughs> no context. People are so, <sighs> it's like the YouTube comments that are like, let me see your stomach before. I'm like, first of all, I'm not asking you, this is the, this is the other side of it. I'm not asking you to believe the information that I'm saying into and to um, do what I'm saying. This And I think this is where we get into when people are selling something that they need you to believe what they are saying because they need you to buy what they are selling. And there's nothing wrong with selling things. I, you know, people, there are really quality coaches out there. There are people who are selling positive things, but when they're saying that if you want to look like me and be like me and, you know, be healthy like me or look like me, you have to buy these things. That's where I have a problem with it. And now the question comes is where's the responsibility? Is that the person who's selling those things responsibility to present a clear and honest message Or is it our responsibility as consumers to say, I have to take things with a grain of salt? And I think, unfortunately, a lot of the masses want to buy something quickly and easily that will fix their health and make it easier. And if I buy this, I will look like that person. And so I think it's a balance of it should be the responsibility of the person selling those things to have integrity. But it also has to be on us to say, Am I the type of person that's getting sucked into this? Because I'm raising my hand. I am the type of person that gets sucked into those things. I am QVC's dream customer. I buy so many things on Instagram ads that are like I am a algorithm sponsored ad 
dream because I am the first person to just be like, oh, that's, I've never heard, buy it. And then I get at, it's just, I, I have to be aware of that for myself. And there are times, you know, like where I have to check myself or look in the mirror. And I think that to kind of go back to it, that's what we talked about with Dr. Syves was saying like, at what point do you have to have a reality check with yourself and say, why am I in this position? Why is my health this way? You know, why am I listening to these people? Why am I, you know, buying into like, what am I looking for? And what's the root cause of what's going on with me? It's hard. So if we were to think about mainstream, if you remember, there was a period where McDonald's was was selling like supersize everything. So supersize fries, supersize drinks. And then the world was basically like, it's your fault. It's McDonald's fault that everyone's getting overweight. And so McDonald's needs to take ownership and remove the supersize fries. And so they did. So they removed it. And but it's not like obesity has gone down. So I know that there is a fine balance. Um, I don't know what the right answer is. But I do think at the end of the day, we know that getting the bigger size fries at McDonald's is not ideal. And if we understand that, then at a certain point, we have to take ownership. So I do think there is an importance in ownership and saying, you know, that it is my fault. At the end of the day, I chose to eat that extra fruit, or I chose to eat the pizza, or I chose to have an off plan day, which then got me into a binge. I get that. But I also think there is an onus on people that are experts and leaders. And and this is where it gets tricky. I, I really believe that Dr. Saladino believes his organ meats and his fruits is the optimal diet. I truly believe he believes that. And he has science that he believes is correct to show you right. that, right? He has the studies. He has the information. He is doing nothing that he thinks will harm anyone. Right. And I know that, and I want to say this because every time we mention his name, we both get reached out to, to say he qualifies it by saying, if you're diabetic, you shouldn't be eating fruit. And I agree with that. Like, I'm not saying that he doesn't, he, he, apparently the people that watch him say he qualifies it saying not everybody should be doing those things. Yes and no. So he he did have a study where he showed that honey can be uh, consumed by diabetics and it's totally okay. So the the point is, I I really think he believes that, but that's where we have to be more open-minded than our own N equals one. For example, I know that most people think I am super anti-liver. And for the most part, I don't think most people should be consuming it. But my nuance is I don't say that no one should be consuming it. And most people, though, that see my content would never think I have that nuance. So that's where part of the issue is that no one follows our content super close or hears every nuance we bring up. But I really think that part of the issue is that, and it's no fault of Paul's, but it's that he shares content that may really be supportive of the biohacking optimizing community. When I think of the clients that I work with, they are often metabolically damaged or they have some type of illness that they're trying to heal with a meat-based diet. Sure. And so the problem is that the majority of the community and carnivores are not in the population where they're trying to biohack or optimize longevity. And so they start getting this mixed messaging. It's not that Paul is saying something that's misleading in his mind. In essence, Paul is doing right by him and he probably has his mega fans that are just like him that validate what he shares and so when he brings up adding fruits and honey it helps him to balance minerals and gives him more energy I, I really believe that did happen for him 
And then for the select population that follows him that has similar lifestyles of working out and being really, really fit, they too, it probably helped them. Yeah. But it's just the reality is that majority of carnivores, majority of people that are even willing to try a meat-only diet, they only do it because they're wanting to heal. And that's where the recommendations from the biohacking, the optimization group is not one that likely fits the mass majority of America who is trying to heal with a meat-based diet. I guess it really comes down to just figuring out who you want to follow in terms of content, understanding it, maybe trying to do a little bit of the due diligence and doing some of the research and seeing, does it make sense that I add this amount of fruit? Does it make sense that I add XYZ? And then will it do good in my own history? And then really just sitting down before you say, well, um, Dr. So-and-so said I need to be eating this for my thyroid health. Well, then just sit back and think of your past and think, well, have I had this food in my history of eating and has it improved my thyroid health? And I think if people were to just take a second before they go, I'm going to the market, I got the green light to eat XYZ. I need to buy tons of carrots and uh, orange juice. (laughs) Right. And instead, if they just sat down and thought, well, let me think, are there any populations that eat mostly meat based and have a little bit of fruit, maybe have some root vegetables? Oh, wait, maybe that's the paleo community. Maybe that's the autoimmune paleo community. Well, let's see if how many people in that community is still struggling with thyroid health. And then that can give you your N equals a bigger population. And then before you dive into it, Rather than thinking my diet isn't working because I don't have the fruit, I don't have the carrots, I don't have the orange juice or whatever else is really popular right now, rather think, what am I doing in my own diet that maybe I can alter before I try these things that for other populations like the paleo community and keto community, it's not fully working. I mean, it's just really hard in general not to get sucked into like, this is the missing element and for only... $199, I now can fix that element and finally lose the weight that I've been struggling with and everything can be fixed and I'll be perfect or whatever the price is, right? It's really, really hard not to get sucked into that. And there are things that might help you um, that you might have to purchase, but it's, it's just hard. It's hard when it's presented as this is what you need. This is the missing element. Um, And that's where I have issues with kind of with that representation of, of marketing, I guess I'll call it. Yeah. I think the biggest, I would say my biggest red flag would be if you feel a little bit of fear or that, that tied to emotion of, like you were saying, this is the missing link as to why you're not healing, why your diet may be good, but why you're still unwell in those moments. A lot of people will want to believe that. So they'll forget all the days that they ate off plan or they were eating some keto treats or something else. And they'll go, Oh my gosh, it is X, Y, Z reason. And, and then they'll buy it because they want it to be that magic pill But for most people that have long-term healing and actually lose weight long-term, it's just that slow process of just being consistent. And it's not even some magical thing you need. Sure, if you have 
illness, you might need something. It's really just knowing yourself, knowing that you may fall, but that you have to get back up and that it's okay that you fall. Like Dr. Syvest says, is as you continue healing, you are more humbled, you are more knowledgeable, and you know your trigger so that when you fall, you know what you need to do to get back up. But the biggest thing is awareness and being able to say, I messed up, not oh, well, you know, I was tired that day or giving yourself all these excuses, but ownership and then moving on. And that is really the key to heal. A hundred percent. I think that's the missing link for most people, myself included for 10 years is consistency. That's it. Like we have to focus on being consistent. It's interesting because people comment sometimes on YouTube videos or on, um, on Instagram and they kind of, they present this comment, like a gotcha moment to me of like, the only reason why this is working for her is because she's actually eating less. Look, she's eating one or two meals a day. So she's consuming less calories. Gotcha. It's a calorie in calorie out thing. Yeah, of course it is because I have an obsessive issue with carbohydrates and I can't stop eating carbohydrates. And when you're eating morning till night, processed foods and carbohydrates, that's a lot of freaking calories. And if I tried to just eat less calories, but keeping it processed foods and carbohydrates, I would be hungry and obsessively ravenous all the time. But when I switch to meat, I am able to feel satisfied, feel full, feel satiated, have the nutrients that I need within less calories. I'm not hungry all the time. I naturally want to eat one or two meals a day and I am healthier by having less calories than before when I was eating massive, like they're like, gotcha. No, I got it. I got it. It's working for me now. This is exactly why it's working for me, why I'm able to have less calories because the meat is satisfying and so nutritious and so healing for me. Everybody f- tries to find that excuse of that's why it worked or that's why it didn't work, but it's really just comes down to consistency. Yeah. The other day I was, we went to a, a shop to cut my son's hair and I was just talking to the guy and he brought up like everything in life comes down to discipline. Everything, whether it's getting a new life, a new relationship, um, in the end, it always comes down to how disciplined are you to say no or to keep going. It's those moments when it gets hard. Are you still willing to do the diet that has been helping you? Or are you going to go to these you know, negative habits that then make you start to spiral? And if we are aware of that, then it ends up being that it doesn't matter how many McDonald's supersized foods we see or doctors that are advocating to eat a certain way unless, um, because your thyroid may get messed up or that you need this new gadget because that is the answer other than diet. At a certain point, it just comes down to consistency, ownership, and discipline. And I know those are not as fun and it takes a lot more work, but you can either struggle, like Dr. Saiva says, if you're going to live 100 years and then everything that you do from there is subtracting from your life, you can decide to be in this diet spiral for the rest of your life and having to listen to content like this for the rest of your life. Or you could do the hard work and then get out of this and not even have to listen to us anymore. And you know what? I think there's this expectation that if I do this long enough, then the light bulb will click and I will be fine and it will be easy for me. And then I will be able to go back to being quote unquote normal. And I know that you and I both had, we've talked about this before, but we've had this moment of like of grief in a, in a lot of ways where I realized that there wasn't ever going to be a, okay, I'm done. Now I can be in moderator. Now I can be normal. Now I can be like, 
I'm realizing that most people aren't what this normal is expected to be, right? Most people who think that they eat this balanced diet in, in a way or can moderate are not healthy and they actually can't. But when I stopped waiting to be done and when I stopped waiting for things to all of a sudden like feel easy and be normal and when I kind of stopped waiting for the journey to end, it actually got a lot easier. And some days it's overwhelming thinking that this might be forever, but in some ways it's like, well, now I've figured it out. Like now I just have to stay on this path. And there's a lot less going back to normal, spiraling out of control, falling on my face, and then struggling to get back on the wagon again, because I've just stopped waiting for it to kind of check the box and then move on again. It's like Dr. when you asked Dr. Saivas at the very end of, you know, out of everything, what would you want people to really know from you and take away from you? And he's saying it's even for me, it's not perfect. And knowing that, you know, when we're on a diet, we think every single day has to be perfect. And I get messages all the time of I was perfect carnivore for X, Y, Z days, and then I fell off and now I'm struggling. And it's this we shouldn't think of it as this black and white, perfect or not perfect. It's yes, there are days where we struggle and we stumble, but we just need to know, okay, I'm human. I made a mistake and I got back up and I'm going. The perfect example is when children fall, when they're first learning to walk, no child ever tries to walk, falls and goes, oops, doesn't work. I guess I'm just going to stay crawling forever. They (laughs) will keep getting up until they no longer think about walking. And sure, as we grow up, sometimes we still fall. We may break our leg and get on crutches and, but still they continue to walk. And that is how I see the journey of healing. It's day by day. There will be days where we eat cleaner. There will be days we eat less. There will be days we eat more. It's a journey. And each day you learn more about yourself and your struggles. And it's like his um, Thanksgiving dinners, right? Instead, if you know that every time you go to a certain place that there are triggers, now he has his wife set his plate so he doesn't have to worry about all the junk food that's there that is a drug to him. And right. and he only learned that through years of going through the trial and error. I'm guessing that he was eating some of those foods justifying, well, these foods are here. I want to be part of the community. So I'm going to eat it. But my guess is he struggled afterward. And so now he's like, no, I'm going to have my wife pick my food so I can eat and then I can move past this obstacle. And there is a balance between wanting to be consistent and then putting the pressure on yourself to be perfect. And sometimes Sometimes that pressure to be perfect can be so overwhelming, or it can cause this shame spiral after you have failed this perfect thing. And I've failed myself and I've failed my coach and I've failed my community. Like just the goal is to learn how to get back on track quicker and not to focus on being perfect forever. And it's figuring out what are the ways that you can avoid temptations. And like we mentioned with him, it's how you've learned you're smarter. Now, you know, what tripped you up before you now can plan for that next time. Um, and it's just learning how to not, I mean, there are years in the past where I would fall off the wagon around October and then go, uh, hog wild literally until January. And then you kind of fix that where maybe it's still the holiday or maybe it's, you know, you kind of shorten those time periods and now it's like not even an issue. But, uh, I do think that it's really about learning how to kind of rein things back in quicker and not being obsessed with the perfection element. That's where, if you are really in tuned with your thoughts, your emotions, and 
how Dr. Saivas is really saying it's not about the what in the diet, but the why. So why are you grabbing that food? Why are you taking a break and using a snack, right? So snacks are not a, uh, what did he say it was, Laura? A snack is always an emotional event. Right. I need that on a (laughs) t-shirt. I need it on a sign to put on my, I need a, okay, so we need this on a magnet and I can put it on my fridge and my pantry that says a snack is always an emotional event. And it's so true. So most people, especially if you're eating meat-based, keto, low-carb, you're not that hungry between meals unless you didn't eat enough or you ate just super lean protein. But otherwise, you shouldn't feel that hungry. And so when you're grabbing that snack, and it doesn't matter if it's meat-based, it doesn't matter if it's jerky, sausages, cheese, but why are you grabbing it? And oftentimes, that's where Dr. Saivas is saying it's not just about the food because you can eat meat-based and still gain weight. It's why are you grabbing it? And if it's oftentimes because this is what I do, I naturally go to the fridge when I'm stressed or I just had a really stressful moment and I need a break, that um, mind cleansing moment. So then if you are more and more aware of these triggers and cues, then you can change the environment so that you don't do that. And so the perfect thing is figuring out, well, what are you going to replace going to the fridge for? And like he said, I think he said a puzzle, right? And you brought up... um, Knitting? What did you say? Originally, I had started crocheting, and then um, it kind of turned into over twenty twenty paint by numbers, where I had it taped up to the wall. Yeah, so it's kind of right now. I don't even. I think maybe it's. I I do think I need to get back into or something. There's. I feel like with the travel and my phone, it ends up being like scrolling through Twitter or something. (laughs) Right, right. But it's something that we need that basically breaks the habit. And one thing I think was so powerful is him saying, you cannot make it a habit where you're just not wired to do that. If I told somebody that is trying to break the habit of snacking or um, eating outside their eating window or eating other than meat-based foods, for me to say, well, now you need to do some hit training, it's just not realistic or practical because that person doesn't enjoy it. Right. It's just, so, I mean, we, you guys know, it's just never going to be something that I want to do or I'm going to do. So it's just, it seems so far out of reach and so unrealistic that it does have to be these small shifts where, you know, put, doing a, a moment of a puzzle or, you know, just having something that stops you before you get to the fridge, like put something in your path right. where maybe it's stickers, like get out your old Lisa Frank notebooks and they, she sells stickers again and like do something that's, you know, distracting for you for a moment or go walk around the yard um, or around the block. It doesn't have to be, you know, doing 50 squats uh, between every break or something. Yeah. And that's why I uh, recommend for my clients, um, have a big glass jar, write little activities you could do, um, either one when you're feeling upset or when you just have um, a moment where you need this mind cleansing moment and have a list of things that you enjoy doing. It could be call a friend, whatever helps you to feel better. And so when you're in that kind of emotional state, when you're not really able to use that logical brain of yours, then just go through the post-it notes and use those when you don't want to be turning to food, even though your body wants to turn to food, just go through those post-it notes. And oftentimes it'll let the moment pass. And then sometimes if it doesn't let it pass and you're like, no, I'm going to eat that cake, then just be really mindful with what you're going through. Just write down how you're feeling or at least take note of why am I eating this? What what emotion am I trying to cope with or dismiss? And how do I feel after? How does this food taste on my mouth? Does it taste good or does it taste a little processed? 
And how do I feel after? How do I feel two hours after? Check your blood sugar and absorb yourself in the environment and everything you're going through. And then you can think about when you're feeling good on a meat-based diet for a few days, was it worth it at that point to feel that way? And when you keep checking in with yourself, these things are so um, cumbersome to do. But if you do this long-term, you become aware that when there's a piece of cake in front of me, I know it's not worth it because I know how I'm going to feel the next day. I know how emotional I'm going to get or how much I'm going to snap at my kids. And at some points, not always, but at some points, it'll be worth me saying no, because I remembered every single thing I felt in that time. I think food for so much of us is this endorphin rush and it's this moment of pleasure. And there's, it's so hard to say no to these amazing moments of pleasure over and over and over and over again. And obviously like, that's what makes this an addiction when we are, we're looking for that endorphin rush or the, you know, the, whatever the hormone or low serotonin or something, right. We're looking for this rush that we get from consuming sugar and processed carbs. And that's exactly what they're designed to do. They're designed to give you this rush, um, a hormonal and mental and blood sugar rush to make you feel amazing. So you want that feeling again. And I'm sorry, but I will never be that person who can look at those foods and say like, wow, I bet that tastes terrible. Like I'm going to have this memory moment of feeling amazing with that. And in years past, it's caused me to cave and to have those foods. But then what happens afterwards is I feel terrible. I have headaches. I feel achy. I mentally feel disappointed in myself. I feel this shame and all of these negative emotions come afterwards. And the struggle to get back on track is so much harder when now I deal with this struggle and frustration in the moment of saying no to this food. But what comes afterwards is there's that rush for me. There's the boost there. I feel proud of myself. I feel stronger. I feel like, like I conquered something. I feel capable of it. And there comes the rush where you're feeling with this moment of displeasure and this moment of pain or grief of having this loss of food when the pleasure comes afterwards and that is longer sustained of feeling proud of yourself. And that is what carries you and builds the motivation to carry you further uh, and being able to stay more consistent with this long-term. And it's like every time you're able to bypass that moment and it it is exactly like a drug. uh, Every time you're able to say no to that moment and push forward, it for me builds the momentum. It builds my confidence uh, and really just helps me continue on this day to day. One of the endorphins is dopamine. And so that whole pathway of uh, reward, it's um, a lot of times they say that the reward or that excitement, the dopamine kick you get is actually before you even get the food. It's the imagination or the thought of I'm going to like I'm driving to the the um, gas station to get the junk food. So that's when you have the highest amount of dopamine. And so if you understand that, then maybe finding a different habit. If you are really into finishing this puzzle and you have like a few pieces, making sure that you don't complete it so that when you have that moment, you can get the dopamine rush. I, I know it's not the same, but it's just finding something that will give you a similar level of dopamine rush that will then compensate more than anything. This really just goes back to finding things that bring you joy. And it could be the small things. I I used to have a tendency where 
hard interviews or hard client sessions, I would go downstairs and grab a cheese stick or I would grab a pepperoni or something. No, I would never grab a pepperoni. That's totally from you, but I would grab a beef <laughs> stick. I never eat pepperoni, but uh, like a beef stick. But now, like sometimes since my kids are home often, I'll just like go cuddle with them and we'll have a little laugh. And that's the break. Or I'll just grab some sparkling water. And um, and that's how I do it. Or I will go bother Kevin, right? So it's like these little things that I've changed. It's just rerouting my habit because I need that mind cleansing moment, a sigh of air, um, but not having to be about food. And it's just changing scenarios, changing environment, trying to put that in practice. And the very first time I stopped doing it, it was really hard. The second day was a little bit easier, but it was still hard. And then on more stressful days, it was hard. And some days I would still go back to my old habit, but I knew it was okay. And I just have to move on. And it's where we have to have grace for ourselves and the um, humility to say it's okay. And that tomorrow or the next meal will be another try. And it's not about perfection. When we get in our heads and we go in this spiral, well, that emotion, that cortisol release then just wants us to comfort ourselves with more junk food. Yeah. And I think it's like you said, rerouting our habits, literally rerouting your feet. Just don't end up in the kitchen. (laughs) You have to just find something to do that's not in the kitchen. And I think that is a huge part of it for a lot of people when Dr. Sivest was saying death is a fixed number and then whatever decisions you make will either add to that or reduce it. It's really powerful because at the end of the day, we can say that this doctor, this expert, or this person was the best marketer and best influential person that had me take this medication or this supplement or this dietary regimen. It is up to us to make that decision. I have so many clients that at this point, any doctor recommendation, they come to me and they say, I don't really know about this medication. What are your thoughts? Or I'm not sure about this protocol. What are your thoughts? And I will give stuff based on evidence-based research. You know, I don't, I'm not supposed to give medical advice, um, but it's ultimately up to the person. So I never tell my client, you shouldn't take this medication. I say, right. And it's, it's up to my client, but I'm proud of them because they're making an informed decision by hearing what they are supposed to take and do, and then doing some of the research, getting a second opinion, and then making the decision that's ultimately right for them. That is what we need to do for our health. When it comes to our finances, we don't just give all our money to somebody else and say blindly, you guys take care of it. I mean, sure, some of us have money managers and stuff, but in general, We want to get a pulse on our money or other things that we're managing in our houses. We don't just give our house away and say, okay, you manage it. And for that same reason, we have to trust the person that we're following or the content we're consuming and also the research. This is our own body. Somebody can tell you for LDL, you should be doing this and taking this, but it's your body. At the end of the day, you want to be sure that it is the utmost thing that you should be taking. And with the internet at the tip of our hands, you can do research. I always say to my clients, if there's like a new supplement or a new diet drug or something, I say dangers of, and then I say, put in the uh, the item. And then you can see all the negative things, at least because you already know the positives. And then you can make the decision of if right. this is beneficial for you or not. And along those same lines, like I think the hardest thing to do is just to be honest with yourself, like have some self-awareness of you know, what are your tendencies? What are your habits? What is your consistency level? And I think those are all really important things to be aware of. And I kind of along those lines of what you were just saying about the medication, do you want to talk a little bit about why you don't share your meals specifically? Yes. So 
if most of you followed my journey, I struggled with a really bad eating disorder. So I was bulimic and sometimes anorexic and I compensated whether it was literally I would binge and then I would purge and I would still think that is not enough purging. So then I would go to the gym for two hours. I would use laxatives and I try to get every single thing out of my system. When I was in those eating disorder facilities, we had to eat lunch, breakfast, lunch, and um, dinner, and then two snacks in there. We would go in there and there was a lot of looking at each other's food of, okay, so that person's eating enough or eating half of their food. So then I'll eat half. And then if someone didn't eat, then I assure you someone at the table also didn't eat. So we were very triggering to one another and we were never able to talk about like calories and how much we ate and what we were feeling. If someone were to go, oh, last night I ended up binging on five cups of cereal, for example. Well, someone might have thought that's not binging and then they would get triggered by that. We didn't talk a lot about about that. And I became very mindful because the most excruciating pain for me was those meal places. From coming from that place, I don't want to be like, hey guys, this is how I look at my weight and as a nutritional therapist, this is what I eat. So therefore it must be the healthiest. And I don't want to do that so that I don't want people to follow exactly how I eat. I just don't think it's ideal. And I don't think it's right. My mom does not eat the same way as I do. I would hate to be responsible for somebody having a worsened eating disorder or relationship with food because Judy only ate certain amount at lunch and at dinner and I eat more than her. And so no wonder I'm fat or something like that. And, and so I am super mindful of that. And I'm sure for some people that don't have disordered eating or they don't think they have a bad relationship with food, they would think it's super helpful, but I'm not the person that I'm going to be providing that information. Maybe I'll show you one lunch. Um, I'll show you my kids' meals. I'll show you things we bought. But I am never going to show you my day-to-day eating because I am so mindful of this. And I don't want me to be a leader in the space saying you ought to eat this way because I don't think it's specific for every single person. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, in some ways, I and coming from somebody who does share what she eats every day, um, way too much. But my even my coworkers are like, I can't believe people actually want to know what you eat for lunch today. But I have stopped sharing portion sizes as much, right? If you look at my original, uh, what I eat videos, you see me describing like how many ounces of meat, what time of day, like exact meal timings. And I think that what I learned from doing that is a lot of the comments were saying like, Oh wow, I'm not eating as much as her. So I need to adjust. Or she like, they don't, they don't know my full context. You don't know what I was exercising at the time or my fasting schedule. We also don't know when people are showing you these portions, sometimes what they're eating when they're not on camera. Um, and this is a, a, the real world. And so I am, I love sharing meal ideas and I will continue to, that's my role in the community. You, right. You are sharing a perfection with nutrition and these other, you know, things and it's different. I agree. And maybe this is me justifying myself too, but I love sharing ideas, but I have stopped sharing portion sizes as much, whether I eat two bowls of ground beef taco meat or whether I eat one or three, like what, how much I'm eating shouldn't matter as much as like what, because I think people use that as how much they should be eating. And so I think that, um, it's important for people to find out the amounts and frequencies that are going to work for them and stop trying to replicate my fasting schedule with exactly how much I'm eating. I think that's pretty damaging um, for a lot of people. I like encouraging people to try a fast, but it has to be the timing that's right for you. And it has to be uh, the context that's right for you as well. I can tell you, I mean, 
the influencers, a lot of the people that have a following on social media, we talk behind the scenes too. And I can guarantee you that there are people that share meals and then they don't even eat it or they eat half of it. 100%. So we have to understand that what we see on social media, I mean, the other day someone was like, your face looks so flawless. And I was like, yeah, because there's a filter. It's like, oh, and I'm like next to the sun. So it it hides my flaws, but it's a, it's not a hundred percent natural. And it's curated. Thank you. It's curated. And you just have to know that as much as we share, you're seeing maybe 10 minutes of our life. And you don't know if I really eat that full meal. I can add a lot more stuff and then add other stuff later. And it's just, this is where you have to find your own journey and you can get ideas from us. You can get nutritional education from us or information. And motivation and excitement and support. Like those things all exist and they can happen, but we just have to be really careful about replicating or thinking that that's the missing piece for us. I don't know. We keep circling back to that, but I do think it's so important. Yeah, because- I mean, there's a reason why people have following. Sometimes it's, you know, it's larger than life. I mean, I really believe this. And I'll say this because I don't show as a lifestyle influencer, so I can totally give my opinion. But um, it's, <laughs> you know, it's uh, if someone seems like too good of a unicorn, they probably are. Yeah. Hey, let me ask you one more thing. I know we're going to end, but I did a YouTube live recently. And uh, first of all, I kept telling everybody, like when they asked me specific questions, I was like, I'm pretty sure Judy has a video on that. You should go try it. So if you all of a sudden get a flood of questions, it's because I, I'm sorry for that. But one of the things I was talking about my sleep issues and how I was trying not to take melatonin all the time. And um, people were saying like, wait, what's wrong with melatonin? And I didn't want to say, well, Judy told me I can't take it. No, I didn't do. I said, what I do know is melatonin is a hormone and it's definitely not good to be taking regularly. And I learned this from Judy, but can you, as we wrap up, just cause I think I've gotten a lot of messages in the last uh, little bit since I posted that, can you just talk about what, why somebody would not want to take melatonin and I'm springing this on you, but daily. Essentially, melatonin is a hormone and melatonin is not what really makes you sleep and have deep sleep. It helps you to feel like you're passing out. And so a lot of people will take melatonin so that it knocks them out, but it does not equate to quality sleep or deep sleep. So that's one. You are forcing your body to go down, but you may still be very alert or you may not be getting restful sleep. And I guess you could try one of those aura rings to really determine that or how you feel in the morning. Are you really rested? But the other thing is it is a hormone. So you need like serotonin and these other things to then produce melatonin. So tryptophan, I believe produces serotonin and then serotonin with melatonin. We have a full episode on sleep where I know she gets into all of the hormones more in depthly, but I do know that like, but wait, what about melatonin? Cause I know a lot of people take it daily. Yeah, so um, you basically need enough meat and that produces the tryptophan and then gives you the serotonin conversion and then with melatonin from serotonin. So they all work together and it's just the thought is when you're plugging in one hormone and this could be about thyroid medications, it could be about all um, sex hormone medications. But the question is, why is there a deficiency? So why aren't you sleeping? If your melatonin is low, the question is why? So if it's because your serotonin is low, the question is, why is your serotonin low? Sometimes the serotonin is produced in your gut. So is it a gut imbalance? The question becomes when you start altering things by injecting extra hormones in your body, while it may give you momentary support, the question is long-term, 
what adverse event is it causing? Right. And to give you an example with sex hormones, a lot of people that take extra estrogen, there are risks of breast cancer. My concern is that when people start really relying on melatonin, one, you don't really get good deep sleep. You just knock out. And then secondly, you're taking more hormones, which then can affect all the other hormones. And then lastly, you get more dependent on it. So your body always assimilates. If the original issue is that you're deficient in melatonin, let's say you're interjecting it more, but your body's going to clear it because something else is off balance, which is purposely making your melatonin low, it's going to deplete you constantly. So what you're going to end up doing is taking more and more melatonin. The goal is to really get to the point of why aren't you producing enough melatonin if that is the issue and um, and not rely on something that you're going to start having to take more and more to get more relief. Yeah, cool. Okay, thank you. I knew I had, there was more to it and I wanted to make sure that just it came up a lot. And so thank you for that. I will say like anything I have a stance on, I will never share. Like if you knew me in real life, right. um, my husband always says this, but I will never take a stand that I'm not certain of because I hate to feel like I'm wrong. Obviously, science changes and I could be wrong one day, but I only share things that I've researched and done enough that I can take a stance. And then if I ever am wrong, I I own up to it. Like I was wrong about potassium. Most people need potassium and supplementation. And I didn't know that. And before I said we didn't and I was wrong. I hope that I'm not, I don't want people to just blindly trust me because I don't want people to do that either. But yeah. And I think if anything, they heard this information, this is new information for a lot of people. Now go look it up, do some research on your own and also then evaluate, like, look at your own. This is where the self-reflection comes in. You've heard information from somebody. We now need to self-reflect and say, how long have I been taking melatonin? Is it really working? What is my deep sleep? Like, have I looked into not, have I looked at my other hormones? Like there's a lot of pieces that can be done. I'm not saying well, Judy says quit taking melatonin. So stop taking melatonin, right? Like it's look at now, take this piece of information and interject it into your life and now look at the bigger picture. Yeah. And you have to look at your sleep supports because some of them have melatonin in it and people don't know that. It's not just the supplement that says melatonin. A lot of the sleep supports have it. And then you could do what I said, like Google or search um, the dangers of melatonin, um, supplementing melatonin, right? And then you can decide is it worth it or not for me? And that's the most basic way you can do this, right? Um, dangers of eating too much fruit, um, dangers of eating too much liver, all of these things you could just search in that way. And then because again, you know, all the benefits Well, then get the counterpoint of you, right? I mean, I will blindly trust you, but that's also because we hang out in our jammies <laughs> together. Well, but most people <laughs> need to actually do their research on their own. Everybody listening is our friends too. So it's all good. Thanks guys for hanging out today. And hopefully, I mean, Judy and I are in our jammies. My guess is uh, you are as well listening to this. (laughs) Okay, guys, we will talk to you guys later. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple Podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura East Bath. 
You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura's Bath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain. <laughs>